So I said, you have to earn $3,000 every summer to put into your own bank account that you get to spend when you're in college. That's your spending money. And it doesn't mean I wouldn't support them and help them in other ways, but um, it wasn't, it was going to be a partnership and not just dad's pocketbook or mom's pocketbook. Yeah. And uh, I think that made a difference, right? They, they, they appreciate a dollar today. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back, Money Talkers. I have a special guest today. I have a guest named Greg Sullivan. Uh, Greg is the president and CEO of SBSB, a wealth management firm providing financial planning and investment advice. SBSB currently services approximately 1,000 clients and manages, get this, over $3.9 billion in assets with a team of 63 people. Their client retention rate is not an unheard of 99%. Greg's also an author, and a few years back, he published a different kind of retirement book about retirement fail, a book that brings awareness to the fact that accumulating wealth and saving for retirement is only a small part of having a successful retirement. Overall, Greg has 35 years of financial planning experience as a wealth management advisor, and he was mentioned as Barron's top 100 independent advisors. Welcome to Money Talkers, Greg. Thanks, Cody. Glad to be here. Well, listen, you and I were kind of chatting here before the show, and uh, we started talking about something, and I said, you know what? I really want to bring this onto the podcast. And so can you kind of, we just kind of touched on a subject, and the thing that I said was 80% of millionaires have inherited zero dollars. It's a big misnomer that people that have a lot of money just must have inherited it from some lucky parent or grandparent that started a business 200 years ago or something. And you had mentioned about, started to talk about how you how you grew up. Could you kind of start off with that? Yeah. So my background, uh, you know, I grew up in, in outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, we were kind of a lower income, lower middle income type of uh, family. It's interesting now that when I look back, I didn't know it. <laughs> I thought everything, everything seemed perfectly fine to me. You know, I had food in my belly and, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a good life. So you didn't, uh, you know, I never really understood there was that much of a difference between, you know, the haves and have nots. But, uh, and we were fine. I mean, it's not like we were, uh, we were scraping by. So, um, you know, I think that it's that background, but it's that Pittsburgh background, um, you know, where everybody was in the lower middle income families. And, but what we had was um, my mom grew up on a farm. So, um, and uh, my dad actually came from a pretty wealthy family 
in the Times back in Illinois. His dad was a doctor. So it was a, but uh, their challenge was they met on a blind date, eloped two weeks later. My mom was 18, my dad was 21 in college, and his parents said, well, if you're that smart to get married, you're on your own. So he had to drop out of college to support his mom. Sink or swim, huh? Support his wife, (laughs) my mom at the time. And so he didn't end up with an education, college education. My mom had no idea. She was an 18-year-old farm girl. And um, what you learn, what I really learned from that is my mom's one of the smartest people you'd know and and very astute financially. Mm. No college degree. Um, But I put her up against, anyway, she's 89 years old and she still talks to me about stocks and bonds and what's the market's doing. So well, she's, uh, she must have been having a, a really fun last few months conversations because it's been insane. <laughs> oh, this is the craziest time I can imagine. Oh, yeah, it's fun so, though. So where did you go from there? Like what did, so you've ended up, you know, I, and I bring high achievers onto Money Talkers and I would absolutely put you in that category, obviously. And um, what do you think, like having that background, how did that help you uh, get to where you are now? Well, you know, it grounds you. It, it, it reminds you that even, you know, after, you know, I've been in this business, financial business for 40 plus years, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of great success, but you stay grounded. You know, I still say, you know, I've got the Pittsburgh roots in me and uh, they're, they're, they're not going to ever leave. So, um, you know, that's, that's been important. But my parents had decided all four of their children, I'm the baby of four, that all four were going to go to college. And, um, you know, that was really important to them. So I ended up going to Penn State. Um, and um, literally, my dad's dropping me off at, at college. And he says, so what are you going to major in? I mean, this is, a, this is like we're finally having a conversation. And um, I said, I'm going to major in finance. And he said, the smartest people I know in business are accountants. You should major in accounting. So I thought, okay, if that's the, where the smartest people are, that's where I should go. <laughs> so I literally changed my major and I moved to accounting. I had no idea what accounting was about, why I was doing it. It was good advice, probably the only advice I ever followed of my dad's, but it ended up being great advice because it's a great knowledge. If you want to be a really good businessman, he was really correct. The accounting background is extremely helpful. You know, that's um, in my story, you know, I've got, I've got very high highs, very low lows. And one of the main takeaways I had when I crashed and burned so hard, um, and I had four businesses at the time, and I lost all of them within a year, was that I didn't pay attention to the accounting side of it at all. And I became a commercial banker. And I had, you know, 08, 09. So it was like the worst time in the world to be a banker. But um, I was in all these businesses, and I was watching them just deteriorate all over me. And people would ask me like, Hey, uh, I think I might be losing my job. Like what kind of business should I go in? I'm like, it doesn't matter what kind of business you should go in. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, it really doesn't. I have every industry you could imagine. I was like the successful people right now, if I ask them their numbers, they know them. I go, that's the one thing that I've noticed between all these business owners. If I walked in and was like, Hey, um, you know, where are you at this month over the last, this month, last year? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Let me call the accountant. I'm like, Oh no. You know what I mean? Like I knew, I, I just started seeing these traits. That's a, such a right. great background for you to have had coming out of school. 
Uh, oh, it's fabulous. And it, you know, it, it's one of those degrees that, you know, if you don't get it in college, it's not something you're gonna learn when you leave. I mean, finance, psychology, you know, a lot of other areas you can actually spend time studying after school. How many people study accounting um, and debits and credits and tax law after they graduate from, from school? <laughs> the employers? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the successful employers, I would tell you, the ones that are running their business as well. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's the planning yeah. phase there. And, the, and the, it's, you know, I, I always use it as a scoreboard. I think that people look at it as like just their taxes, you know, which is an an important thing, but it really isn't for me. It's the scoreboard to know where in your business you need to address the the opportunities or the challenges. Right. It shows right. you problems. You know, I'm I'm still not the best. Like I don't like to sit down and type out my accounting side of it. But if you hand me a PL and a balance sheet, I I will find problems in your company within five minutes because I'm right. gonna look for anomalies or I'm gonna look for you know things that they jump off the page at me now. Right. I've looked at so many. Yeah. You know? It's it, it's helpful. And so, um, as you, so you went through, um, you know, Penn State accounting, um, and you mentioned you've been in finance for 40 years. Like, how did, what was the transition for you? Did you go out to be an accountant and didn't like it, or what happened there? Yeah, I was probably the worst accountant that, you know, <laughs> that could have existed. So, I came out, I was actually heavily recruited, which was, I always laughed at, but, um, and so, I came out, I started with Ernst and, it was Ernst and Winnie, it's Ernst and Young now, but it was Ernst and Winnie back in my day. Uh, 1979, I um, started working for them. So I spent a couple of years in public accounting. I was horrible at it. Um, I didn't really enjoy it. And I met somebody who was talking to me about financial planning. And he was really trying to get me to refer him clients. And during the conversation, the dinner conversation, I said, I want to do what you're doing. That's exactly where my interest is. And so I said, can I get an interview with your boss? And he said, sure. So I got the interview and made it, made it pivot. And I pivoted into the financial planning world. Um, and it was a, you know, the major shift. It, it, as soon as I got in it, it was like I was a fish in water. I loved it. I loved reading about it. I loved learning. You know, and I had a great mentor uh, in the first few years, that was, which was absolutely critical to my career. You know, um, it's amazing what a great mentor can do for you. I tell people coming out of college, I told my kids who are now older now, the number one thing for you is that who that mentor is at your job. You find the right person and just, you know, get with them for the next couple of years. That'll make the biggest difference in your, your, your career. More important than the, how much you're getting paid or anything else, get that person who's going to take you under their arms and help you out. Yeah, the ability to copy success is such an underrated right. conversation, I believe. Um, you know, that the, uh, the, the mentorship, you know, I really didn't know any better, but I had a great one at one point in my life, and it changed my life. Yeah. You know, and I, and I really... Um, I don't think it's it's talked about nearly as much. I also feel like before I kind of have my vision on it now, when I was younger, I felt like the successful people probably didn't they didn't they didn't approach me to to mentor me, right? It was always the people who were like either not very good at their jobs 
they had a lot of time to talk to me about how all the things are bad and they don't work at the, at the job or you can't be successful or all these things. Right. They had all the reasons to tell me why you couldn't because they had all the time on their hands. Right. Right. It was like, <laughs> so I always tell people like you can, you're going to get a lot of money advice and you're going to get a lot of career advice. Right. Actually, you get advice on anything you want because everybody will give you advice. The, the, one of the key to this to success is deciding who you take your advice from. Right. Absolutely critical. Yeah. And it happens all through life. Even when you're younger, I had a wrestling coach. I wrestled in high school. Uh, one of my wrestling coaches was an amazing mentor to me in those critical years from, you know, ninth through 12th grade. Uh, very influential in my life. So parents, siblings, coaches, teachers, you know, look around. I mean, it's, mentoring starts early. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the formative things, the way we view our opinion on money is actually, uh, I think that 80% of it is formed by the time you're seven. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, and everybody yeah. thinks, oh, these little kids aren't paying attention, but if they're, they're picking up, they're more as caught than taught on that side of it. Yeah. There's also, I think, you know, that's the early childhood formative years, the zero to eight. I think there's also the formative period between eight and 18. Uh, where you begin, you know, where you're, you're astute and you're watching habits and you're seeing values and you're seeing principles. And I actually think that's one of the most important things for a parent to be able to, to give to their children, uh, especially in that period of time uh, when they're so influenced, you know, what, you know they're, they're watching, right? Your kids, what do you have, six and eight year olds? So mm -hmm. they're watching now, but it's going to be even more so. Wait until they're 13, 14, 15 even though they, you may not think they're paying as much attention, they're really paying attention. And the stories that you have for them and the way you treat them and the way you talk to them about money or just how you handle money uh, makes a difference. So you mentioned earlier that one of the advices that you gave to your kids was not to really worry about too much about starting salary, but to make sure that you found a really good mentor. What were some of the other things that you passed along? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I learned it from my mom and dad, particularly my mom, about hard work. Um, and I passed that along to my kids. So even though by the time my kids were growing up, we were in a more affluent neighborhood than what I grew up in, um, I still had requirements for my kids to work, um, and where oftentimes their friends were not. And it was, you know, hey, it's summertime. It's time for a job. Like, you're going to be a lifeguard, you can go be a caddy, you can be, you know, my son, actually, one of his jobs, he was a, worked for a moving company. Um, well, I've, I've done that one. That one's, <laughs> you feel that one. <laughs> you feel it. But I loved he, it, honestly. He learned, <laughs> yeah, he learned so much from that job. And, and here he was working with, I mean, anybody he was working with was definitely lower income, lower middle income. And here was, you know, this, you know, you know, young white boy coming in to, to help out and they pushed him so hard and he loved it. I mean, he'd say it was one of the best jobs he ever had. Yeah. You know, that's, um, I remember when I was doing it, you got something like $12 an hour, which at the time minimum wage was like five bucks an hour. So I was like, I am making a fortune doing this, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and I, I was, uh, I was lifting, uh, you know, it, it's just, I, I have always enjoyed that. It was one of the qualities that I think stuck to me through sports 
right. um, which is a great teaching um, aspect that if I wanted to, you know, my, I was never given the excuse to let, say that someone was just better than me, that if I wanted to beat them, I needed to work harder. Right, right. You know? you know, when my kids went off to college, you know, especially when you're in the affluent side, you know, parents, you know, kind of give them a credit card or a carte blanche and stuff like that. And I, I just said, you know what, again, the Pittsburgh roots in me just said, that's not the way we're going to do it. And um, so I said, you have to earn $3,000 every summer to put into your own bank account that you get to spend when you're in college. That's your spending money. And it doesn't mean I wouldn't support them and help them in other ways, but um, it wasn't, it was going to be a partnership and not just dad's pocketbook or mom's pocketbook yeah and uh, i think that made a difference right they 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 appreciate a dollar today um because of that kind of process yeah i had a guest tell me recently what they did is they um if their if their kids wanted something they would have to earn for it and then if he had to front it for them like if it was something they needed like that weekend or something he made him pay one and a half he made him pay one and a half times back (laughs) because <laughs> it was cost of credit i was like oh i love that dude. yeah you know if something yeah. was twenty dollars and they they earn three you know four dollars an hour they would go oh i got it go how much how long you gotta work they go five hours he goes no nah, seven and a half you got credit <laughs> i love that yeah i thought that was a pretty good a uh a pretty good strategy and so um well, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about what you're doing now where you um, are working with, you know, very affluent, very high net worth individuals just taking, you know, I think in the intro, I said $3.9 billion by a thousand people. So you're basically, what's that, a $3.9 million in average per client. So these are not, um, you know, these are people that have had a lot of success in life. Right. And so... I'm curious if you've seen patterns by being around that section of the population, if you've seen patterns that they have exemplified to get to where they are. Well, you know what I've seen, and this is why I wrote the book, Retirement Fail. Um, it was an interesting, I had, a, I had a prospect come in my door and he'd sold his company for $150 million dollars. Uh, I had to pay off some other investors and stuff, but he obviously walked away with a significant sum of money. And I'll never forget in the interview, when he was interviewing me, I I actually turned the question. I said to him, I said, so how do you think you can fail in retirement? And he looked at me like, I just sold my company for $150 million and we're going to be talking about failing. And I said, absolutely. I said, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It depends on what you're thinking and how you're going to deal with it. And so we then went through, I said, you know, there's the various ways that which people fail in retirement. So, you know, I think it's more, it doesn't matter how much money you have, right? There's a lot of broke lotto winners. Yeah. And um, so how do you deal with it? So it's more, I've seen mistakes that people make. What are and, some of those mistakes? Yeah. So one, and I have a chapter in my book, it's called retirement fail. It's called, it's the chapter is called the nest that won't empty. So kind of along the lines of what we're talking about, like how do you help your children transition from your children to being independent on their own? And I see too many families continuing to support their children. And I'm not talking about supporting them when they're in college. 
I'm talking about now they're in their 30s and their 40s. And I still say, oh, yeah, 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 no, my kids, yeah, their cell phone's on my cell phone. And, and yeah, I still have their car. I bought their car for them. I'm like, how are you teaching them to become independent? How are you teaching them to, you know, to really value it versus thinking, you know, mom and dad are there to, to bail me out? So and it doesn't matter the wealth level. I've seen it with people that they need the money for their own retirement, and they're still bailing out their kids and helping them when they're out of school and on, should be on their own. So it, it's not a wealth level. It's a family values issue. It's the principles that you want to teach your children that's most important. You know, I believe in the word principles a lot, too, because I'm a big Stephen Covey fan. And, um, right. you know, their um, principles are truths. They're not uh, debatable, you know. And so the value of hard work, the value of independence is is a uh, is a value that comes into people that, um, you know, I, I've told people that now I've I've failed enough times and learned and bumped my head enough that you could probably put me in about any industry. And I think I would know the principles to be successful at it. Right. And that's what you want to, you want to convey them within your family. And mm -hmm. so how do you, those are the fun things and you can talk about it. And uh, as you openly talk about as your failures, I think oftentimes families are afraid to bring those up. They're afraid to say, you know what, boy, I made a stupid decision here. Um, and share that with your kids. I, when each of my kids were graduating from college, I took, I took them out um, individually. And one of the things I went through with them was the things that I feel I failed at the most. And the reason I did that is I wanted them to say, it's okay to fail. Like, yeah. hey, like you may be in your first job and it just may not go well. Like, and you may get fired. Like, not a big deal, <laughs> right? You're 21 I, I tell my kids if they're not, if they're not failing, then they're not getting, they're not trying hard enough. Right. Right. They're not pushing the envelope. They're not challenging themselves because you're going to learn from that. You have to challenge yourself. You have to push yourself. If you want to get above average, if you want to get, you know, out in front, like you got to, you got to have some risks. And the best time to do those is when you don't have the nearly the consequences that you do later in life, because it becomes harder and harder to accept risk. Right. You know? Right. So, but if you share with your children that you failed at something, then it's not such a big stigma for them to come back to you and say, I don't, you know, I, I may be in a pickle or I may be in a bad situation. Can you, can I talk to you about it? Well, you know, that's, um, so that's one of the principles, well, one of the principles and one of the reasons I named this Money Talkers, right, was to try and help people to say, wait, I am a money talker, right? So first of all, you're not trying to talk to your kids about money. You are a money talker. It's a totally different mindset, right? But the second part of that is, is like, you need to be having these conversations when they're younger so that they will have that conversation when they're 23 and got fired with you. Right. Because if you don't talk to them early, you're going to want them to talk to you when they're 23 and deciding whether to take a job halfway across the country and where all the, where all the problems and issues could come up with that. But if you haven't opened that door and you're not a parent that talks to your kids about money or, you know, entrepreneurship or successful mindsets or the right. way to be, it's okay to fail that they're that door that does, does you haven't laid the stones for them to get to the door to talk to you about that. Right. Right. 
Yeah, having a conversation, and and you don't even have to say it's a, talking about money. You can even just say I'm talking about experience. Oh yeah, which happens to be typically there's a money issue around it, right? Let me share some of my experiences that didn't work out, and well, I kind of think the money is probably is like the scoreboard, right? Right. right. So like you know, if you hit the home run, you get a you get a, a run on the scoreboard. Like that's kind of how the, I kind of see. And most people watch the scoreboard and they go, oh, that guy's got a lot of money. Like he must have just inherited or got it or whatever. They don't stop and see that he's practiced at it for 10 years or 15 years and was terrible at it in Little League. And, right. you know, and they don't see him build all the way back up. And then now they just see the home run hit and they're like, oh, lucky. Right. <laughs> you right. <know>? right. <laughs> you know? Versus the 10,000 hours that went into uh, being able to get there. Yeah, all the luck, the guy, the, yeah. <laughs> all the blood, sweat, and luck that he got, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so when you're when you're talking now and you're going out and giving speeches, are you um, are are you finding that the conversation is more? Uh, I don't know. Is is it shifting? Um, well, it's, it's definitely shifting right now with with the with the COVID because you know conversations are all on zoom and oh, yeah. and it which is uh, is great uh or microsoft teams we use that as well uh and it's great using these tools but it's different than when you're inside the same room and i can see body language and i can you know you can there's a feeling that goes on inside that so so that's being a little bit more challenged but but we're we're doing well with it we're you know you can uh, we can get some fatigue on these on these type of calls but uh but it's good so the, the issues are still the same um a little bit more intensity around the kids and there's certain you know coming back to the education side what we're seeing is more kids coming home uh and sometimes it's really not financials it's sometimes more about isolation so it's like uh you know I need to I need to be home because I need to be around people and my one bedroom apartment is a little claustrophobic. So so that's good, right? And that's what's going to happen. And it, and it's an experience you're all going to have together. But um financially there's definitely stress. And you know we're seeing it with the furloughs, you know, we've got you know 11 million people that that have gone through that in in a very short period of time. I mean, the speed at which things have been happening in the last few months is, you know, something no one has seen in our entire generation, right? We're having to manage through that. We're having to help people just talk it through and, and deal with sometimes the stress issues, the isolation issues, the uncertainty, um, and, you know, and so how do, you, how do you make decisions? And then you've got a stock market that, comes roaring back, you know, at a pace that really was is unprecedented. So a lot, a lot, a lot of emotional issues going on at this time. So you said something in there that where you're dealing with clients and you're really just talking through it, right? And so right. are you seeing at the on the other end that just being open to talk to them? and talk about the money and the stresses that they're feeling. They, they feel like they're the only ones that are feeling that way. And then when they you kind of reassure them that, look, I'm having a bunch of these conversations, like, is that, I'm imagining that's when you see the stress 
level come down is they're like, okay, I'm not the only one, right? Right. Right. And, and everyone wants to know it's not just me. Um, and they're having a harder time with that because they're not socializing as much as they typically would, especially, our, I mean, we have all different generations of clients. We have children of our clients. We've got, really? you know, the baby boomers and we have, you know, I've got clients in their eighties and nineties who are, you know, with different health issues and, and risk issues. So it's a big, broad variety of clients we have. So each is a little bit different, but I think there's just this air of uncertainty that is prevalent amongst everybody. Like really, where is this going? Uh, when do you get back towards a normal? And I think part of the normal doesn't happen. It's like there's been some serious social change and work-life balance change that I don't see returning, quote, to normal uh, anytime soon. I mean, literally years it could be. Yeah, I, um, I think there's also an unfettered access to information and a lot of extra time on people's hands. And so I don't think that's been a very good mixture. And then I think that there was some certainty that this was going to go really bad. And I think it hasn't gone as bad as we all thought it was going to go originally and we were told it was going to go. And with the market coming back the way it has in that aspect, it's almost like you have this divulge of like two, you know, narratives to where like, well, look, the stock market's at an all time high. Like how in the world can that be? And then it's like, you know, you've still got all this unemployment and it's like, and then we've got all this time and information that's just conflicting. I, it's just a hodgepodge of just, uh, you know, um, it's just an unbelievable situation. It, it really is. And, you know, Certainly, this is where our services become in great demand. Uh, we're having more conversations with clients and, and prospects than ever before. We're, we're, we're just having to talk to our clients more frequently to talk them through it from the emotional side, but also from the education side to try to educate people to why the market can be performing as well as it is when the economy is looking as bad as it does. And there's a lot of economics behind it. So yeah. to us, it's not that confusing. And so we have to explain it to our clients to provide the knowledge and experience to why this could be happening. And then what you have to do is you just have to look forward and say, okay, given where we are, what will this mean looking forward the next five to 10 years? Now we have seen in a 40 year period of time, interest rates roll down from roughly 18% down to 1% on a 30-year bond. Has anyone ever experienced a 30-year bond at 1% before? No. Yeah. So, so that's what we've experienced. The question is, is what would the next 10 years look like when you have a 1% 30-year bond? And I am gonna tell you, it is different than the prior 10 and 20 years. Really? It has to be. Financially, it will have to be. We've been saying that for a while, though, haven't we? Well, we... Like I, I mean, I, I knew when I... Okay, so I owned a mortgage company 10 years ago, and I'm like, it was record low interest rates. And everybody was like, you better get in now, because this thing's got to come back. <laughs> and it just keeps staying or lowering. And it's just now we're in the twos, you know? And it's like, yeah. what in the world is going... Like, 
I, record, I don't see record. how you can put three and a half trillion dollars into an economy and then say there's no repercussions on the other side, but I haven't been right for 10 years. So what do I know? You know? <laughs> yeah. And the answer is, is that, you know, we can, we can uh, suffer longer than, than reality would ever expect it to be. Right. And that we've seen it happen over and over, but when you were looking at low interest rates, 10 years ago, you were looking at 4%. Yeah. <laughs> we're now looking at 1%. Uh, if you're in Europe, you're at negative percents, right? Exactly. Like, wh whoever thought that was a real thing, you know? Yeah. So I just, um, I question, I, I, so my brain tells me this has to shoot back up. But if that happens, that the damage and the carnage that happens would have to be so bad that they can't let it shoot back up. But what is a repercussion? So like, there's an emotional and a, and a mathematical side to me that there's a contradiction in there. Right. Well, and this is really affecting, um, especially if you think of retirees. So retirees go much more safe with their money. They need a fixed income component to their income. And so let's assume you had a million dollars and you had it in fixed income assets 10 years ago and you were getting 40,000 or 4% off of your money. Today, that same amount is at $10,000. Yeah, you know, bucks a month. Yeah. And so your income has, has fallen 75%. So the retirees are now really having to think that through and and where do you put your money in order to get enough return to be comfortable and that's what's you know it's challenging for us uh, we're having to explain it to people and find solutions but um you know there are solutions it's not always as easy as as people would have liked it to have been as it was five and ten and twenty years ago i think that's creating more of a need for uh, financial advice completely because you, if, if, if the interest rate's 10% and you can just go down into, you know, Bank of America or Wells Fargo and say, hey, I'd like one of those 10% bonds. Here's a million bucks. And you get a hundred grand a year. Right. And you could just, right. there really wasn't a strategy. I mean, there's some, it, but now you, I'm just simplifying it. Yeah. But if it's at 1%, you can't do that. What do you do? Because it has to last and it needs to be safe. So it's, you start, and I think that that forces people into alternative investments that they may not be experts in that realm. Right, right. And the fear, not to get too technical, but the fear is that we end up with a stagflation environment where the economy is stagnating and yet we're seeing prices go up and yet the bond interest rates stay low. So your income stays low off of your safe assets while costs go up. And that's going to be really hard on a certain segment of the population, a large segment of population. It's going to be another, not totally another issue um, that, that no one has the exact right answer to. You can't, but we know it's a challenge that we're going to be all facing in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's a, an invaluable source. And so, um, Greg, if more if people want to find out more about what you're doing, uh, what your firm does, and uh, if they're at that stage or they want to be able to talk to their kids about it, that kind of thing, where where do they find out more about you? Well, a couple of ways. One, uh, we have our website is either under the name of the company, which is Sullivan Bruett, Spiros and Blaney, 
that's so hard to say that we shortened it to SBSB. Yeah, that's quite a bit easier. <laughs> SBSB Financial Advisors is a lot easier than Sullivan Brewett's Furious and Blaney. Um, and then I have a book. Uh, there's some good information on the website. It's called retirementfail.com. Um, and, you know, I have a questionnaire on there for people to think about. And I have actually some summaries of the chapters just to give you insight. Anyone with children needs to read chapter two, which is the nest that won't empty. So um, I just highly recommend it. I, I, yeah, I love that idea. I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah. it's like, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't think about this, like where, like, well, I've got to help them. I've got to help them. I've got to help them. But do you want to be living in their house later? <laughs> because, exactly. you, you know, we make the jokes about like, oh, millennials can't get out of the basement. Well, guess who's going to be in the basement later? Like, <laughs> if you don't figure this thing out, so that's exactly right. You know, um, too funny. <laughs> well, Greg, I'll put some links down in the show notes, and uh, make sure to come check us out for the high impact series. Uh, again, uh, thank you for coming on Money Talkers. Uh, thanks, Cody. This is a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker. <laughs>